G'day Thrivers, Jessie, welcome back to the show for another week. This is episode 229 of the Korean Thrive Podcast, and today is an interview. Now this month uh, in Thriver Circle land and Korean Thrive land is all about photography, specifically of course product photography. Over in the Thriver Circle, I'm going to be running a live interactive workshop that's all about, uh, that I'll be teaching you steps to improve your product photography, and we've already started talking about, you know, that sort of stuff in the Thriver Circle. We had a chat today as I'm recording this where people were sharing their photos and we were giving feedback. It was really fun. So we're going to be doing that all throughout the month of May within uh, the Thriver Circle. And here on the podcast, my focus is going to be on product photography as well. Now, this is actually what I had planned for May, but it's fortuitous as well because as we know, with everything happening in the world, many of us are pivoting to selling online. Uh, hello, shout out to all my setup shop students who's, who've joined me for that course. And um, product photography is one of the absolute massive keys to unlock the door to successfully selling online. You need amazing photos. That is what draws people in. That's what encourages them to click. That's what encourages them to buy at the end of the day, really, are the photos. So, we're going to be talking about that all this month, including today's episode. Now, uh, today's interview is with Amy Eaton, who is a product photographer who turned educator, and she's been teaching makers how to DIY their own awesome product photos for their business. She's taught thousands of makers from across the globe how to take gorgeous product photos without stress, frustration, and overwhelm through her signature simplified teaching style. So Amy and I have a lot to talk about, and I learned a few things in this episode from her uh, about you know taking the photos editing the photos, the ins and outs of all of that. So we've got some great tips for you in today's episode. So if you want to improve your product photography, do not miss this one. It is right up your alley. So if you do want to continue the journey and actually do more work on your product photos and you want feedback, the best thing to do is come on over and join us in the Thriver Circle because that's what we're going to be doing all this month. So head on over to thrivercircle.com and you can uh, register to join us over there and of course like I said we'll be doing that live workshop where you'll have time live time with me to get my feedback um, I'm also looking for people in the Thriver Circle if you're a member already listening I'm looking for people to volunteer photos for me to use and critique in that workshop so if that's you and you have a photo you know maybe it's a really good photo maybe it's a th- you think it's kind of okay or maybe one that's really bad <laughs> that maybe is an old one or one that you're like mm, this is how where I'm at at the moment and I really need to improve what can I do to improve this photo share it with us in the Thriver Circle and just tag me and mention that you want me to critique it and I will do that so um, without further ado let's get into this interview with Amy Eaton do you want to grow a thriving profitable handmade business my name's Jess Van Den and I'm here to help you do just that I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. So, I'm here with Amy Eaton. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here to chat with you today. Me too, because we're talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is product photography. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And you are definitely a bit of an expert on this. Can you tell us how you came to be doing what you do now? What's your background? All right. Well, my background actually is in product photography. I am a product photographer. 
And I did that for a while. And, you know, I loved it, of course. But I, back in the day, before I started teaching, I had a lot of friends who were in the handmade world. In, in some variety. And I had a friend who, you know, runs craft shows and friends who are makers. And they were kind of like, you know, our people could really use your help. <laughs> so yeah. I put on a few in-person workshops and this was many years ago now. Um, and then, and it was wonderful. It was really positive and it was a lot of fun. And that was kind of before online courses were a thing really. Like it wasn't really something that was well known. So it never occurred to me that that might be a good fit. So I just carried on, but you know, wanting some changes in my life, a business that was maybe a little bit more scalable and, and didn't require me having to live in a big city because I wanted to move. I started to look at how I can adapt my business to be something that would be a better fit for me that would still be very fulfilling. And that just really popped into my head that this would be the best thing to do. There was such a need in the community for this kind of teaching because mm as we both know, it's so important to have amazing product photos. But the only education that was out there was either stuff that was designed for photographers. So it's really filled with just all kinds of stuff that makers don't need to know. Tons of technical jargon and complex lighting setups and just way, way overkill, big overkill. Mm -hmm. uh, or there was kind of more basic stuff, like a maker who had had success with their own product photography and gave a few tips, but there wasn't really anyone giving a solid, simplified, step-by-step, -step, kind of like, here's how you can efficiently get from point A to point B <laughs> mm -hmm. with the great product photos and, and carry on and have a great business. So I really wanted to build that for the maker community. I love the maker community. I've been, you know, like I said, I've had friends in it and you know, was always kind of the person going to all the craft shows and shopping on Etsy. And uh, I just, I, I was, I've, it's been really such a privilege to be able to teach this kind of thing to my students and just to watch their shops just thrive through these gorgeous product photos we're able to take now. So that's kind of the evolution of how that all came to be. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been working with makers specifically at this point? My, I launched my course in July of 2017. So mm -hmm. it's been over two and a half years. I have over 400 students in my, my flagship course, like my big, I have a, you know, the comprehensive full deal mm -hmm. course with learning support community. And that is um, snap sell succeed. It's called. So uh, that was the first course I launched. Yeah, I went right for the big guns. I was just like, let's do this <laughs> whole big whole thing. And since then, I've kind of broken off some smaller topics and stuff like that. I have a few smaller courses, and um, but yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been I say three years. I guess it's probably more mm -hmm. accurate to say about two and a half. But yeah, feels like three years. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this topic because you know, it comes up again and again and again, and it can be a huge learning curve for people. I mean, when I started taking photos of my jewelry in 2008, we didn't really have smartphones, you know, you, uh -huh. you had to have a proper camera, uh, which I did, but I didn't know how to use it. <laughs> it was always on right. auto. It's on auto mode. I don't know what all these settings mean. <laughs> Uh, exactly. Let's, let's use the flash to take the picture. That'll be great. Oh, no. Don't oh, do no. that, <laughs> I learned that lesson, but I did. I, if you, it's funny. You look back at my Etsy shop, the first few pages of sold stuff. Whew, man, those photos, they are pretty. Oh, you are everyone. Everyone's <laughs> in the same boat. You are not alone. <laughs> but I had to learn and teach myself. And you're right. There was nothing out there. You know, I, I had mm -hmm. no idea. 
um, and kind of stumbled upon stuff from reading blog posts and what, you know, that's what you did back then, you, you know, mm-hmm. trying stuff out and got to the point where I was pretty happy with my product photos and I'm, I'm pretty happy with how they are today. Um, but there is a lot to learn and a lot to make sure there's a lot of mistakes you can make. Let's, let's just be blunt about it. Um, I made pretty much all of those mistakes when I first started <laughs> out. So let's uh, kind of dive into talking about some of those things. Cause I think everyone's listening is like, okay, well, what am I doing wrong? And then how can I fix it? So I think that would be very helpful for people. Uh, so yeah, I'm all about that. Excellent. All right, let's do it. So number one, what, what are we going to start with? Let's start with the fundamental, the very first thing that needs to be conquered, and that is lighting, Mm -hmm. which is also the most difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Lighting is a tricky, tricky muse, Uh, and it is for everyone. I I remember when I first started learning photography like 12 years ago, lighting was something that, you know, you have a difficult relationship with at first until Mm -hmm. you really start to understand it because it's, it's, let's be real, like it's scientific. It's not something that just happens naturally. You really do have to understand how lighting works. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different components that we don't, that you don't really realize, like the strength of lighting, direct lighting versus indirect, the color of lighting. Like there's so many different pieces that can cause problems in photography for Mm -hmm. makers. And that, and, and unless you really know what you're looking for, it can be really, really challenging. So why don't I give a quick rundown of kind of the basics? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. Great. So first things first is the direct versus indirect lighting. So direct lighting would be that flash on the camera, like you mentioned, like you pop the flash off at the top of your camera and took the photo and it should make it lit better, right? Because that's what flashes do. (laughs) I don't know who decided to put flashes on top of cameras, but there's no purpose for them. (laughs) They should (laughs) never be turned on. They're just horrible. Um, so basically don't ever use those there. And that causes direct light. So what direct light is, is light that comes directly from the source to hit your product. So it could be, you know, if you were outside in broad daylight, like the sun is coming and hitting your product directly. Or if you're taking photos next to a window and there's like an actual direct, like beam of light beam from the sun Mm -hmm. coming in and hitting your product. And you can really identify direct light by looking at the shadows because the shadows will have a very hard edge. And that usually would indicate that you are uh, almost, yeah, I mean, I can't think of a scenario in which that wouldn't indicate that you're in direct light. The light Mm -hmm. is too strong and strong and direct if that's what you're seeing. So that's kind of your first clue that you might be in direct light. Um, Now, indirect light (laughs) is light that is been either diffused in some way. So um, it could either have been filtered through a translucent material. So, you know, if any of you have seen um, like a light box or, mm. you know, there's different types of photography equipment out there and lighting equipment that diffuses light. So there would be kind of a white translucent material of some kind over top of the light bulbs. And that's diffusing light that breaks up the rays of light to make them soft and kind of cascade and make it look a lot softer. Mm-hmm. Uh, alternatively, there's, um, indirect light could also be bouncing off things like walls. So if you're inside in a room and it's a bright sunny day outside, there might not be direct light coming in the window, but the light that is coming in, it's, it's indirect light. So it's kind of bouncing off the walls, lighting up the room. Uh, and that's also great lighting. So kind of one of those two things is what you want to go for when it comes to lighting, mm-hmm. you know, indirect versus direct. 
Um, a second thing that I really encourage people to consider when it comes to lighting is the, the color of lighting. So generally speaking, if you're photographing in daylight, kind of midday, you're going to have a nice neutral colored light. And, you know, we all know what sunset looks like. It's really warm and mm. orangey and reds. And that's not the kind of lighting that you want for your photo product photography, but it's beautiful. So you can kind of understand how lighting can have different colors. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes light bulbs have different colors. So I have noticed some people don't even realize that maybe the overhead light was on in the room where they were taking photos. Mm. And that overhead light was one of those warm light bulbs and that's creating kind of a reddish orange glow on their photo so you can kind of pick out the, the if, if your colors are really funky in your photos you may have light that is not the correct color yeah and, and that's such a want... pain to fix afterwards because you've got to go through and and if you can fix it in editing but sometimes you can't even do that i think uh, it, it's such a hassle. It's so much easier to get it at least close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least close when you're uh, taking, taking photos in camera. Definitely. Um, yeah. So, and of course you want light that is bright enough. It needs to mm -hmm. be not direct, but it still needs, there needs to be a lot of it. It needs to be high quality, really strong, bright light. And that can be probably the most challenging aspect, I think, for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're like, well, I'm going to use a windowsill, but oh, wow, there's a there's an eave outside or a roof, like a veranda roof outside or something, so it's sort of blocking some of the light. And yeah, it can be tricky to find a spot. That, and I've been through this in you know my various places I've lived while I've been photograph photographing mm -hmm. things. I'm like walking around the house, like where is a good spot for this? Where What's am I the getting the window? best light? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then oh, it's an overcast day versus a sunny day. You know, am I overcast can be good because it diffuses the light but what if it's really overcast and then you're not getting enough light and uh, what if I photograph something today and then I try to do it again tomorrow but there's more clouds or less clouds and it changes the colors and ah oh, you know all of this. and I'm right there with you <laughs> I, I've been trying to take photos myself the last few days just you know for like my Instagram account and stuff and it's just every day it's cloudy and it's like no I don't you know no <laughs> I, I mean, I have, I obviously have artificial lighting setups, but I love natural light. It gives yeah. such a more authentic, real feel to photos. And oh, yeah, well, you know, Canada in the winter, what can you do? <laughs> yeah. And let's talk about that because, you know, for product photography, there is that tension between do I need to use natural light or can I get away with using artificial light? How does it change the look of my photos? Can I do it sometimes one way and sometimes the other way? Or should I really be trying to do it all one way? Such great questions. I can tell you've done this before. <laughs> um, so you definitely can use artificial lighting. I love to encourage people to use natural lighting if, if it works for them. Because I'm all about minimalist approach when it comes to makers and product photography. I don't want them to have to spend a ton of money on equipment that's going to just take up space and be complicated to use kind of like the, the least intrusive methods here mm -hmm. to get the great photo. But the reality is, yeah, sometimes you live in an area that has a lot of cloud a lot of the time, or maybe you work a day job, so you're home and it's darker and it just isn't realistic. So I absolutely, yes, definitely. There's a, there's a lot of different ways that you can use artificial lighting and 
what kind of artificial lighting you use would depend on your product. So Mm. there's a lot of different approaches to using artificial lighting, which is why I don't tend to go into it a lot outside of the course because Mm -hmm. it's just such a long story. Um, But you can mix and match and you absolutely can make artificial light look natural. And that is the biggest thing that I want people to know about artificial lighting that you should be taking photos with artificial lighting that looks natural. Mm, and is there a trick to that or a trick you can share or some tips on that? Cause that's very well, awesome. <laughs> it, it definitely comes down to uh, for sure. The indirect lighting is right. the biggest piece. So making yep. sure that it, the, the um, light is diffused properly or you can set it up using in like, I'm a big fan of white foam boards. If anyone listening to this has ever followed me for any length of time, you know this to be true. (laughs) Um, I love my white foam boards. And you can use those with artificial lighting in a similar way as you can use natural lighting the way you would use a window and, you know, pretend that your soft box or your ring light or whatever that you're using is the window and then set up your white foam boards kind of opposite to create a more natural look. And that could be really effective as well. Cause I guess that more natural look sort of almost comes from, and I notice this when I'm filming my videos and stuff, when the light source kind of comes more from one direction. So it's sort of subtly, it, it subtly looks like the light source is coming from one way yeah. rather than it being completely white, like bright all the way around evenly. Definitely. Yeah. Or like straight down some ways. Yeah. So, you know, are really top heavy and that can look really unnatural as well. Mm, That's a really good point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Another one I want to throw out there because I get this a lot. How do you photograph glass or shiny objects easily? Is is there a way? Easily? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me preface this by saying that reflective products in glass are probably the most difficult Mm -hmm. thing right up there with photographing white on a white background. Oh my God. Uh, one of the most challenging, or silver, that's another good one. Yeah, that's why I don't um, use white background. <laughs> so kind of two approaches that you can take with it is using a, a light box or a light tent. There's these new fangled light boxes. So I like to distinguish now, like photographers, we call light boxes, they're the tents, and then you have separate lights that are diffused by this cube that's made of translucent mm-hmm. white material. But nowadays there's these fancy light boxes that are, is a box with lights inside of it. Right. So I distinguish between the two because I don't like the ones that have the lights inside of them. And I know there's probably some of your listeners thinking, Oh my gosh, that's what I use. Mm-hmm. Um, which it, first of all, if it works for you, then please keep using it. But I, like we talked about trying to make that lighting look natural. Um, it's really difficult to do with a light box, unfortunately. And if you have a reflective product, those lights will cause problems Mm. with the product. But these light tents that you buy, they're cubes, like like a big cube. They also cover for the front with a little like kind of slit in the front. You can poke your camera through and take the photo. And that allows you to kind of eliminate all of the surroundings from that that caused the reflective issues so the mm-hmm. you know it's really the surroundings that cause so many issues with reflection and if you can eliminate those um you can really really reduce reflections by using a light tent like that another method that i have just recently actually accidentally stumbled upon <laughs> that is really uh, effective at reducing reflections 
is using a ring light. This is weird. And I used to be like, don't use ring lights because they're meant for portrait photography and etc. But I, I have one because for my YouTube videos and I just wanted to take a quick photo. I didn't want to haul it all my equipment. I was like, I'm just going to use the ring light like I use a window mm. uh, and then set it up for the natural, you know, set up my white foam boards. And when the ring light is nice and high, it's astounding at how good it is at eliminating reflections. I actually was photographing a necklace and it completely eliminated all the reflections to the point that I had to actually manipulate the light to show a reflection because it was a faceted stone. Right. <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't even look faceted. It just looks like, you know, like a raw hunk of matte amethyst or something mm -hmm. but uh yeah it was surprisingly effective and it's when the light is higher than the product it can be really effective at eliminating reflections i remember from my portrait photography days that if you had someone with glasses mm -hmm. and you raised the lights higher than their eye line it wouldn't cause reflections in their glasses so there's some hot tips right there that's a really good tip and um i have to say i will have glasses and when i'm recording for youtube i have to make sure that my box light is far enough to the right of me that it doesn't reflect in my glass, like high enough and far enough to the right of me yes. that it doesn't reflect in my glasses. I played around for like ages, like sit down, take a photo. Is it reflecting? No. Okay. Move it over. You know, yes, move it over. <laughs> so, I, know. Yeah, I know that pain. <laughs> yes. It can be a real hassle for sure. <laughs> Thank you. That's some awesome tips. And I know there's a lot of people listening going, Oh, something, there is a solution. I don't. Just there is. I promise you there is. It can be finicky and take some work to try to figure it out, but you will get there. Okay, so another thing is a big bugbear of mine, and I see especially beginners doing this is they have a they have a beautiful product, and then they put like a flower in there and a rock in there and like five like other things in the photo to style it, but then you're like, what are you actually selling? I can't tell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so overstyling mm -hmm. or you know not styling appropriately. Do you see a lot of this? I, yes, this is a big common mistake I think that people tend to make. And I think people are, fr they're not, they're confused and they're not really sure mm. what to do. So they think if they put more in, it might work more and <laughs> they're not really sure what to use. So they add a bunch of things. I totally can feel the confusion and I understand where that's coming from so much. So I get that. Now uh, my rule of thumb for my students is for product listing photos, no more than one or two props. Uh, social media, you can get away with a little bit more because you're kind of telling a little bit more of a story. Um, the photos serve a little bit of a different function over there on social media, but in, in your product listings, it should be very clean and simple. No more than one or two products. Um, the, the props should be a fit for your product. They should make sense. Um, they should make sense for your branding. So, you know, some people have really strong branding and I love that. I think that, that people have a lot of uh, their branding can take them really far. And, you know, one of my students has a very kind of like urban industrial vibe. So her props are so different than my other student who has like a really feminine, flowery, flirty vibe. Their, their props mm -hmm. are going to be very different. And they are. And so I think it's, it is important to pick props that are going to resonate with the people who are, who are also going to resonate with your products. That's really important. Yeah. It makes me think, um, cause I sell a lot of men's uh, oxidized wedding rings, sterling silver wedding rings. And one of my, I guess, competitors, I don't think about them that way, but you know, mm -hmm. you search yourself on Etsy and you see what other people <laughs> are doing. Uh, in, and there's this one, uh, one business where they've specialized in something very similar and they use like, um, like, 
uh, bolts and stuff as oh. in their props because like they're, yeah. they're trying to get that masculine vibe across and I'm like oh that works really well like the way they've styled it so you can you know you can do a really good job of it if it's on yeah. brand appealing to your ideal customer and it's still very very clear what the product is yes absolutely my so two of my quick kind of words of advice on picking props that are going to really highlight your product um, is it I love having have your product be the biggest thing in the photo mm. ideally uh, if, if it is if it is front and center in the largest thing in the photo your props are smaller than your product then that's awesome that your products really gonna pop it's not always possible if you do sell something like jewelry or you know different smaller items especially people who sell supplies and things like that it might mm. be harder to do that and what i just recommend is you can have props that are larger but have them just peeking in on the edge of the photo right. if they're cut off by the edge of the photo it's pretty clear that's not what you're selling and then that way your product is still really going to stand out that's excellent i like that thank you yeah. um okay so now, circling back to something you mentioned before, you talked about how, you know, it's really, really hard to photograph white on white or silver on white. Now, mm. as someone who sells silver jewellery and a lot of us, a lot of those people listening, hi, you also sell silver jewellery. <laughs> we see you. Um, <laughs> the eternal question, should I be putting it on a white background? Now, my answer has always been with silver. No, unless you mm. really, really have to for like wholesale photos or press photos. But when it comes to selling online and putting your photos in, like making them pop, making the product pop and making them look appealing and enticing, I think that you're doing a disservice if you're putting it on a white background. I totally agree. Ah, yay. Yeah, the professional agrees it. with me. You got it. <laughs> there, so a lot of people think you do need to have a white background to sell mm. online. And I don't know where. So I did a little digging to find out where this information oh, came yeah. from because <laughs> I was curious. And... I think what I found out is that when Etsy first opened their doors, like 15, 20 years ago, however long mm. it was, I lose track. I think it was like 15 years ago or so. Yeah, something like that. They, they said in the very beginning, oh, you should put your photos on a white background. But they really quickly changed their tune when they realized, first of all, how difficult that is to achieve well uh, if you're taking your own photos. But also just, it's kind of, it just, it doesn't set handmade apart. Oh, it's white backgrounds are very Amazon. <laughs> they're very eBay. Like it, yes. there's nothing yes. that says I was made with care and love. <laughs> it's just mm. boring, like white background. There's nothing special about that at all. So I think Etsy was smart and realized very quickly that that is not the right look for handmade. Now, some people use a white background and it looks great and you can make it look really great. But more often than not, I find makers needlessly struggling trying to make it work because they think they have to. And like you yes. said, the silver jewelry, if you can put that on like a slate gray background, mm. Mm, that's going to look so good. Way better than if you try to put it on a white background. <laughs> so yeah. And I mean, like you said, there are some instances in which you do need to have a white background like if you sell on regular amazon not handmade at amazon because they don't require a white background but regular amazon does there are certain retailers like you said who sell who buy, will buy wholesale that want the white background some people uh, so some publications might want to feature your products and they will want it on a white background so they can kind of like just put it on like plop it on the page wherever it looks the best there are instances in which you do need to have a white background but i would say 90% of the time it's not not necessary and just so much extra work too much of a headache 
Oh yeah, it is. It's hard to get the the white balance just right and make your product look good. And yeah, it's uh, it's not something I do. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I definitely encourage people to think outside of the, the white box. Like, don't don't feel like you have to. Uh, and yeah, like you said, I see so many people struggle to do it because they think it's it's necessary, uh, and it's it's just not like. And yeah, and it can look great. I I love sometimes when people kind of will use sort of off white like a wall or like a table or something and that just gives Mm -hmm. it that little bit extra personality and character to your photo absolutely yeah i mean white tones are great Mm. but you can have it be a texture like a marble or whitewashed wood or some shiplap or like a linen or something like that and it can Mm. look so so good and the just the, the like you said just the added texture or a little something different can make the photo look so much warmer, so much more polished. It makes a huge difference. Do you want to learn how to sell more online? I have a free video workshop just for you. It's called the 10 essential keys to successfully sell handmade products online. And it'll take you through the absolute key factors that will help you to unlock the door of successful online selling. To get access to it right now for free, head on over to createandthrive.com forward slash 10. That's createandthrive.com forward slash one zero. Now, speaking of texture, one of the rules of thumb I try to go with is if your product's textured, your background should be plain. And if your product is plain, you can have a textured background. Would you agree with that? That's very interesting. What would be an example of a textured product that you think should be on plain? So say a ceramic uh, cup that has like a detailed floral uh, painting on it or something like that. And then whacking that on like, I don't know, a uh, checkerboard background, for example. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, we're on the same page. Okay. Yeah. You're right. So you are definitely right in saying the busier your product is, the more simplified your background should Mm. be. And I really encourage a simplified background across the board. Mm -hmm. Textured is fine, but I see some people, you know, I I really do love a whitewashable background. I talk about quite a bit. It's not a fit for every brand. I actually really like a variety of different backgrounds for different products and brands. Um, But whitewash, what is one that I would recommend to people who, you know, sell things that are a good fit for that. And, but sometimes you can get whitewash wood that has just tons of graining coming through Mm. and like the edges of the wood really stand out and it's too competitive for attention when it comes to the photo. So people are looking at the background more than they're looking at the product. It's kind of overwhelming and swallowing up your product. So I really encourage people to go subtle with the textures for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, yeah, for sure. If you have a really busy product, like you said, like a really cheerful looking mug or something that has a nice pattern, Simple is your friend for sure. So another controversial uh, topic that now I talked about this a bit recently in one of my uh, YouTube videos slash podcasts because I was teaching Etsy SEO and Google SEO and talking about uh, the things that will get you punished basically and, and pushed down the search rankings. And one of those things, especially on Google, is having watermarks on your photos. Right. How do you feel about watermarks? What do you what do you say to that? I am a big time no on the watermarks. 
very much do not use watermarks. Does this also go for artists, like visual artists? Because these are the people who most often come back with this, like I have to mark my, my artwork so people don't steal it. Which is a fair, and it's all fair. I mean, all of the reasons why people want to watermark are very valid, Mm -hmm. but watermarking doesn't actually protect you in any way, shape or form because they're so easily removed. And some people are bold enough just to use them anyway (laughs) with the watermarks. (laughs) I don't care. Um, Now, when it comes to visual artists and digital artists and things like that, what I recommend they do is actually take a photo of their art on the wall. You can use, you know, a mock-up or you can take the photo yourself, or you can take a photo that you can use as a mock-up. There's, there's options, but rather than show your art in its true form, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. or, you know, in, in a photo in its entirety, show what it actually, not only that, but bonus, you're actually showing it in context, which is going to give people a better sense of feeling about it. It's going to make them mm. feel more connected to it. They're going to start to imagine what it'll look like in their space. And all of a sudden they're bringing it home because they're excited about it. So there's a lot of uh, advantages to showing it in, in a room hanging on a wall, you know, or propped up against a wall while sitting on a desk or, you know, different things like that. And that way people can't rip you off because they, they can, and they'll be printing off a photo of your picture hanging on the wall <laughs> in a room. Um, <laughs> And another thing to keep in mind, while this, you know, isn't still isn't cool, the way that photos are downloaded from the internet is too low of a resolution to actually be printed in any way that would make them worth anything, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as somebody might be able to download a photo from Etsy and print it off on like a really crappy quality, like five by seven, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but um, they're not really able to achieve what like an actual, they wouldn't be able to take a real piece of art from Etsy and use it in any way. Yeah. And this also comes back to making sure that the photos you upload aren't too high of a resolution. Like they shouldn't be print quality. They should be, internet quality uh not only to protect yourself but also just so they're not so bloody big yeah (laughs) they're not like multiple megabytes totally (laughs) yeah Yeah. and And you know what i think and i think i've tested this before but i'm actually not sure if i have now i may be making this up but i think if you upload a print quality if you upload a photo that's like 300 dpi to etsy and then you download it from etsy i think it downloads as a 72 dpi i don't think it downloads full resolution no i'm pretty sure they've got that set up so that that's exactly what happens so when when you upload a photo they process it at their end i'm pretty sure and then put it on their site and they downgrade the the quality of it so yeah yeah, but this is more for for those of you who have your own websites if you're just Mm -hmm. uploading raw photos to your own websites in your blog posts or in your or in your product photos make sure you have downgraded uh that that quality that resolution so that it isn't stealable from your website yes for sure and you know what i'm not sure if any i'm trying to think i i have to find this out now i'm gonna go (laughs) after we get off this podcast interview because i'm going to just start downloading (laughs) i'm just gonna start stealing photos from online and checking the quality (laughs) of them because now i'm curious i feel like anything you download from the internet might be 72 dpi but we will find out i will report back my that would be good yeah (laughs) yeah because it reminds me of when i was a a teenager this was 
kind of just when the internet, this was, okay, let's, what year was this, 1996 or something like that? Just when the internet was kind of coming into its own and people were starting to put art up there and stuff and being young and naive and not thinking about intellectual property, I'd find a picture mm-hmm. I liked and I'd, you know, print it out on my printer and put it on my wall. Mm-hmm. Of course, the quality was terrible, but yeah. it's not like any it's not like any of these artists were actually selling their stuff online back then because nobody did that it just wasn't yeah. a thing right <laughs> they were just um, sharing of the goodness of their yeah, hearts <laughs> yeah exactly um and naive teenage me uh would do that of course i wouldn't do it now but yeah so it's never gonna like the, i think people are worried that someone's going to steal it and then sell it on but that's yeah, yeah it's not i don't think they likely. could yeah or at least not successfully that's for sure no. <laughs> uh, and i mean really there's there's always going to be somebody out there ripping off designs and it's awful and they should be reported and you absolutely can vent about it online uh, and call those people out. But uh, at the end of the day, what I tell people is that your asset is not in your photos that you put online. Your asset is your product. Your asset is the way you take care of your customers, your customer service, all of these special details that you put into your work. That kind of thing really can't be ripped off. So as much as it does suck, take solace and knowing that what you do actually cannot be recreated by anybody else. Mm. It really is just yours. Absolutely. And one final uh, thing that people have said to me is like, well, you know, if I put a watermark on my photo, people will know where to find me, you know, putting my website on there or whatever. And I'm like, well, you could make sure that your photo is named correctly or the alt text Mm -hmm. is there so that when people hover over it, they can see who you are. So that's another trick that you can do. If you want to, you know, you want people to be able to uh, go, Oh, well, where's this photo from? If they, they do like download it or whatever, because they want to know more about it or they just hover over it in the right circumstances, they can actually see where it's from. Definitely. And, you know, I always say kind of weigh the pros and the cons. Mm. And what I always find is that you stand stand to gain so much more by not using the watermarks. I mean, Mm -hmm. the chances of your photo being shared so many times and no one knowing how to trace it back to you is you can find anything on the internet. So they can probably find you if they really wanted to. And, but you, if you do include that watermark, you're limiting yourself from so many opportunities, like being featured by influencers or bloggers, being featured by Etsy, like you said, the SEO thing. Mm. And there's just so many detriments to using the watermarks. They're just not worth it for the, you know, like odd time somebody might find you on Pinterest and it not link back to your site to actually know where to go. You know, there, there's just those situations are so much fewer and farther between than kind of the opportunities you could be losing out on by using a watermark. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. And, you know, when when you do go to a shop and you see like every, all the photos are watermarked or something and I don't know, it's just like, oh no, don't, <laughs> just don't, don't do it. Just, it yeah. it, did, it and, takes and away. Customers feel, yes, yes, it takes away. And customers feel the same way. They show up and they're like, oh, this doesn't look, I can't even tell what's going on here. I'm distracted. I'm just going to move on. Customers are so, they're saying they have so many options nowadays mm. with, with the marketplace being so saturated. So if they show up at a shop and they feel uncomfortable for any reason, then they're just going to move on to somebody else's. And that is the last thing that you want to be doing yeah. for sure. So for sure. Right. Okay, so what haven't we covered it? Uh, what's, what's the next thing that people need to absolutely get right? Last but not least, my favorite, editing. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big one. I know. And I love, I do love editing. It's funny because I, in my student group, in my you know, private group for my 
snap sell succeed students i'll do live photo editing every nice. couple of weeks i go i do a facebook live and either you know we'll either do like i'll review their images or you know well i'll dig in on a topic or whatever and they almost always choose i let them decide what we're going to do and they almost always choose for me because when you see the magic when you see what can happen it's so exciting. It's mm -hmm. like, it is, it's magic. So I, I really love editing and I think that it can be infectious if you just share it the right way. So let's start with the most, well, not the most important thing, but the thing that people are probably thinking, what program do I use? Yeah, that is, and that is actually a really, really important one. So there's quite a few options available out there for makers that I do approve of, but there's a lot that I don't approve of. Now, uh, first, let me say why <laughs> I approve yeah. of some and not others. So there's this really important thing that your editing program needs to achieve, and that is it needs to be able to do something called embedding a color profile in your photo. So basically, it just embeds the true colors, like the color information about a photo, in the photo, it's like a little post note that gets like tacked onto the photo, travels around the internet with it. So when it gets to Etsy and you upload it, Etsy just kind of looks at the post note and just goes, okay, cool, gotcha. I know exactly how I'm supposed to color this, no problem. So your colors will be rendered accurately. But if a photo doesn't have that embedded color profile, you may upload a photo and you know, I find it kind of touch and go, sometimes the photos, the colors do look okay without a color profile embedded. And sometimes they're a disaster. And I know some of your listeners are probably having an aha moment right now. Mm -hmm. I'm <laughs> having know, an aha moment right now. I didn't yeah, know about this. Right? So if you've ever uploaded a photo to Etsy or even Pinterest or wherever, and you don't have the color profile embedded, the colors might look all of a sudden kind of like washed out or a weird tone or kind of an off hue. And you're like, what is happening? Because it looks great on my computer. Why does it look so off here? Mm -hmm. And that's because the color profile information is not available for the website to know how that photo should be colored, basically. Uh, so a lot of the free programs out there actually don't do this, like Pixlr or PicMonkey or iPicky. A lot of them don't actually embed the color profile. So it's awesome to be able to use a free tool, but a lot of those programs are kind of meant for like, you know, you took pictures of your family on vacation and you just want to play around with photo editing, you know, that kind of thing. It's not really meant for product photography, which really does need to be done properly. Uh, it doesn't need to be an extensive editing process, but there are a few things that need to be done. Color is very important and mm. for obvious reasons. Um, so that's a big thing. And so some of the programs that I do recommend are of course, Photoshop and Lightroom. Okay. So if my point of view on this is that if you are a serious handmade seller with a business that you see going on with for a long time, <laughs> mm -hmm. then you should spend the $9.99 USD a month, which is like probably less than you spend on Starbucks. <laughs> then, you know, <laughs> a lot less. <laughs> Starbucks is expensive. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, for this editing program, because it's always updated, it's everything you'll ever need. Uh, and anyway, it's great. Now, if you don't want to do that, like if you're just not there yet, or you just don't want to have a monthly subscription fee, there are other options. There's one called Affinity Photo, which is a really solid and robust editing program that has a lot of similarities to Lightroom. It's a one-time fee the pricing varies depending on what country you're in, but you know, somewhere's around like maybe um, $50, $50, $60, something in there. So um, 
I like that program. And when it comes to editing on your phone, which I know some are doing, I am a huge fan of the Lightroom app, which you actually do not need a Adobe photography subscription. So you don't need that at all. You can have it. And there's kind of a few extra features that you get when you use the app, but there's most of them are free and it doesn't better color profile. It has a built-in camera you can use that gives you so many more options to make your photos look more professional. I am, you know, if I could make money off of, <laughs> off of like promoting this app, I would for sure, awesome. <laughs> but I don't because it's free. <laughs> um, but it's, it's great. Yeah. It is a really, really solid tool. And Snapseed is another good one. I like Lightroom better. Mm-hmm. Snapseed has a lot of filters and stuff, which I want makers to avoid yeah. at all costs. Uh, and I don't want the temptation of those filters to be there. <laughs> whereas Lightroom is a lot more focused on, you know, just edit your photo. That's it. I'm glad you mentioned Snapseed. I was going to ask you about that. I'm like, what about that? Because it's what I normally recommend. It, although I, it I haven't does. used Lightroom, so I'm going to have to give that a go. Oh, it's so fun. Is, there, yeah. is it on Android as well as I? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I actually have an Android phone, which is weird because I have Apple everything else. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's great. It is. It's really good. And um, I had a follow-up. Oh, Snapseed. Yeah, Snapseed is good. And it does embed a color profile. That actually just changed... Well, when was it? I think it may have been a couple summers ago. I, I remember I was really excited about it. I was checking off and on because I thought this is a Google product. They have to get on board with this sooner or later. Mm-hmm. I have to know that this is something that is important to some people at least. And uh, yeah, they, they did actually implement that, you know, relatively recently that they embed a color profile now. So that's very exciting. That's great. Okay. So here's one that I've used for many years because I don't know Photoshop. GIMP. What do you think about that program? Are you familiar with it? Not bad. I Mm -hmm. am. I find it really Photoshop. I'm kind of a snob that way. (laughs) Photoshop and Lightroom. I'm a photographer, so of course I use that. But I've used GIMP uh, just to kind of try it out because if there's a free tool out there that I can get people to use, I will. Like like I said, I'm a minimalist for my students. Honestly, GIMP, it does the trick. Like, it, it, it works. It has, I find it a little bit clunky, not super intuitive, mm. not necessarily user-friendly. Uh, previous versions of GIMP didn't embed a color profile unless you actually went through this whole song and dance where you downloaded the color <laughs> profile from online and, like, uploaded it to this spot and you had to change a setting and it was just really convoluted. So I just didn't recommend GIMP <laughs> because <laughs> that kind of tech hoops is not something that my people are going to be interested in. Uh, but I believe the newer versions of GIMP do embed a color profile. I'm going to have to confirm this. I'll test mm-hmm. it out and confirm. If anyone's listening and wondering how to, because everyone, this happens every time when I start talking about this, they say, does this program embed a color profile? Does this, because it's <laughs> how do the I ones tell? That they use. <laughs> and I actually uploaded a video to my YouTube channel that walks you through a very simple process that you can just check to see if there awesome. is a color profile there. So uh, you guys can check that out. <laughs> I'll put, a link, <laughs> I'll put a link in the description, but what's your YouTube channel? Is it just Amy Eaton? It is. Yep. YouTube.com slash Amy Eaton and the videos on there. But yeah, for sure. I I caught onto that one eventually. I'm like, I keep repeating this. I'm just going to make the video so that people can just see how to do it. It's really not hard. Uh, And now everyone can find out for themselves because I often don't know. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I, there's a lot of programs I still don't know about. So now everyone can check for themselves. Way more fun. Okay, so now we've established which uh, programs to use uh, mm-hmm. and the color profile thing. What should people be, what's the process you should go through when you're editing your photos? 
Well, I, I am very minimalist. So uh, my, so first thing everyone needs to do is crop and resize their photos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Etsy just recently changed the ratios just to make everyone look just so happy <laughs> from it used to be five by four and now it's four by three. Now the good thing is that that's pretty close. So, yeah. you know, I, my students were all kind of like, oh my gosh, do I have to change all my photos? And I said, probably not. Like go in and mm. check to see if there's anything really off or, you know, getting cut off by the edges, but four by three is pretty close. So you should be okay. But, uh, so that did change. So everyone can change their, you know, ratios now. And in terms of sizing, Etsy recommends, if you're an Etsy seller, Etsy recommends between 2,000 and 3,000 pixels wide by, mm. you know, whatever I can, I used to know for five by four right off the top of my head, how tall that would be, but not so much for the new one yet. But um, <laughs> yeah, so it'll automatically, you know, if you set the ratio in, with your crop tool, then it will automatically adjust that for you as long as it's 2000 to 3000 pixels wide. Uh, and that's, they recently, no, I guess it's not recently now. It was in 2018. They kind of did an overhaul of the photos. That's when they started um, they did an improved zoom tool and all of those things. And, and that's, I think why they're pushing the larger photo sizes now mm. because, oh, they look really good with the zoom tool. If the photo was really high quality and crisp, which is another reason why people should have great product photos, mm. that, that zoom tool really does a great job of showing off the details of your product. So if anyone listening is not on Etsy and is just using their own website, whether it's kind of Shopify or WooCommerce or whatever, then generally the rule of thumb is a thousand by a thousand pixels like if you're going mm-hmm. square a thousand pixels wide or whatever excellent well that's mm-hmm. easy and here's another fun fact that a lot of people don't know i'm all about fun facts today <laughs> <laughs> that if you are only using your images online the dpi actually doesn't matter at all that mm. did you know that no i did not know that i know you know because people always say it should be this and this and then 72 dpi for web but the dpi because it is a measurement that only applies to print it doesn't even come into effect until a photo is printed so the file sizes are actually the exact same size if you save a photo that's 3000 pixels by 3000 pixels wide let's just say Mm -hmm. at 300 dpi and then 3000 pixels by 3000 pixels at 72 dpi they are the exact same file size yeah you know what i think i've noticed that and not really ever paid attention yeah. <laughs> there you go so unless you're printing it, I, it doesn't matter one less thing for people to worry about yeah yeah <laughs> so don't worry about the it. dpi <laughs> not unless you plan to print yeah you're yeah. all good because a lot work. of people ask like well what should my dpi be and i'm like literally doesn't matter pick your yeah. number <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean 72 is fine like just whatever but yeah, yeah it actually doesn't matter it's fun it's so um size. that's yeah. cropping and resizing okay. now the next thing is kind of adjusting your tones in the image, your light and dark tones. So without getting too scientific on everybody right now, um, the, your camera has a limited dynamic range. No matter how fancy your camera is, it can't see tones with the same intricacies as our eyes can. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's the way they work. So we need to kind of give a little help in the editing process. So, and that's often why you think like, why isn't this white background actually appearing white in the photo? It looks gray. Mm -hmm. And usually that that's why, because it just can't capture a white, white tone as well as all the other tones in the photo just can't, you know, get that wide of a range. Uh, So you can just tweak the tone. So I don't recommend using that exposure slider that everyone sees or the brightness slider, because that'll Mm -hmm. adjust the image as a whole 
it will brighten everything in the image or darken everything in the image. And usually what you want to do is kind of like brighten the bright parts and then darken the dark parts or however it needs to look, depending on how the photo looked like in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that'd be actually, the highlights and the shadows. That's right. So you can actually go in and adjust those individually and make the photo look more true to life. So that is your tones. That's how you have to do that. Right. Because, yeah, I've noticed when I'm playing around with, uh, like, uh, especially portrait pictures, you turn the exposure up a bit and the brightness up a bit, and then you're like, it looks real fake. <laughs> yeah. Like, kind of everything's too the same, but then if you pull that, those shadows in, it kind of makes it a bit more realistic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just kind of play around with it until it looks like how it looks like in real life. And I mean, it sounds simple. It takes a little practice, but once you get there, it's pretty straightforward. But then, then we, we kind of come up against the issue of it might look really great on your big desktop screen. And then once you put it on your phone, not so good or vice versa. So what's some of yeah. this, what's the solution for that? Like of what I usually find is I edit it on my desktop, which is, you know, I have a big screen and then I'm like, yeah, that looks great. It's not. And then I put it on my phone. I'm like, wow, it looks really dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's so tough. Now here's the thing. Everybody's monitors looks different. So mm-hmm. no matter what effort you go through to try to make your photo look perfect, you can't control what other people are looking at it on. You know, it could be an old smartphone that makes it look totally different than, you know, your brand new MacBook that looks totally different than somebody else's old monitor. And like, it, there's just so many variations in the way that looks. And you know, a lot of people ask, well, should I calibrate your monitor? And I said, well, you're going to calibrate all of the monitors of your customers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother. Like really it doesn't, unless you you know, when people talk about, when photographers talk about calibrating their monitor, it's usually because they're printing. So they calibrate it mm. for a certain printer that they use or whatever, or that their print, their, you know, the print shop uses or whatever. So it, there's really no need to calibrate because no matter what you do, you can't control what others see. So I always recommend going for the best you can, and then have your disclaimer right in the description to say that, you know, you make every effort to make your product and the colors look as true to life as possible, but you can't account for variations in, you know, different devices and in different monitors. Basically, you can't make a guarantee. Yeah. Um, yeah and then that, that way you're covered and you've explained. And then that way, if you get a customer being like, well, I'm mad because this look this color, you can be like, I said, right in the description. I tried. <laughs> uh, yes. So, yeah. And you should make an effort for sure. You definitely, mm-hmm. definitely should make every effort you can to have your products look as, as properly, especially when it comes to the colors, especially mm-hmm. those kind of really nuanced colors like turquoise and purple and those ones that are really on walk the line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, make the effort for sure. But just don't stress about it too much because you can't control every device that's going to be looking no. at it. And this happens to me and I, cause I make oxidized jewelry and in some lights it looks really dark in other lights, it looks more gray and certain lights it looks a bit bluish, you know, and it's just one of those things that I'm like, well, I just have to put in my description. It may look different mm-hmm. than in real life. And yes. I've, I've done my best to take a photo that looks true to life, but yeah. Um, you can't make it you, the person's not seeing it in real life so you can't you exactly. can't tell it reminds me of that whole um blue gold dress fiasco that went on oh my gosh yes 
<laughs> That's such a good example. It's like literally well, people will see different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it all comes down to, I think like the photo was like a flash or like a weird, it had like a weird color cast on it. And then somebody like clean, actually edited the photo up and went here, this is what it should actually look like. And that sort of yeah. made it easier for people to see, oh, it's actually, I think it was actually blue and black. I can't remember. But um, yeah. So That's hilarious. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Wow. That was, that was an example of how powerful things move around the internet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And how powerful editing is. Um, Yeah. So one more thing I want to mention with editing is the whole white balance thing. Mm -hmm. How, what, what is that and how do we do that? Okay. So white balance is refers to the balance of the colors in the photo. So if the, if the neutrals in a photo are balanced, that's why we call it white balance. So if the white, the true whites in a photo are balanced, meaning that they have all the same values, uh, because, okay, let me back step here a second. Basically, pho- photos that are taken online, you know, the, the photos these days are generally speaking, uh, taken in what we call RGB, which is red, green, and blue. And those are the, the color values. So mm-hmm. white should have the same. They should all be the same. That means that it's actually really neutral. And same for, you know, a true neutral gray and a true black and all of those things. They should all be the same value. So if that is balanced, if the neutrals are balanced, if white is balanced, then all of the other colors in the photo will in theory (laughs) actually be true. Now that's, it's a little more intricate than that, but that is the basic theory behind white balance. So it's important to try to achieve white balance as much as you can. I recommend what I find in my own personal experience is that some t- programs that I use and in some lighting and, you know, certain things, my computer thinks that balanced color is not really what it is. <laughs> they right. think it's way more red or warm or whatever, <laughs> yellow than it really should be. So you do have to understand that at the end of the day, you need to make the decision about how it should look. Mm. Your white balance should be a guide. And, you know, you need to make your best effort to make it look true. And um, there's a few different ways you can do that. I, you can use something called a gray card in your photos to kind of use as a control point uh, for when you're editing. So basically you would put a, you buy specific gray cards for photography and you might put it in like the first photo that you take in a set. And then when you open that photo in editing program, you can set the white balance to that card because you know it's truly neutral mm-hmm. and then use that information for all the rest of your photos. This sounds very high tech. I'm usually much more simplified than this, but I'm just kind of, for those of oh, you who I love do that. know what I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't, I'm sorry, stick around. <laughs> You'll get there. But um, yeah. And it, it just uh, kind of gives you that control point to set the values for the rest of your photo to make sure that they are also um, balanced. Now, the gray card is a good starting point, and sometimes it'll nail it. Sometimes you'll be like, yeah, that is perfect. All I had to do was click on the gray card. It's perfection. <laughs> and sometimes you might click on it and think, okay, it needs a little bit more tweaking than that. But it is a good starting point for sure. But I even love, you know, your your description of white balance. I've literally never heard anybody just make it that simple before. 
before. I'm like, oh yeah, that man, that makes perfect sense. Okay, that's I'm, easy. I'm convinced that photographers <laughs> try to make it sound so much more complicated than it really is just because they want to sound really fancy. <laughs> and I'm just ruining it for everybody. <laughs> no, but you're helping us. So that's that's the most important That's right. Thing. Well, that's what it's all about. I know. I'm just, <laughs> I want everyone to know. And obviously there's, there can be so much more to it than that. And, yeah. And it can be so much more scientific and complicated for sure. But, uh, you know, really, we're just trying to get good photos of your stuff out in the world, right? Like there's mm-hmm. just time limits on this stuff. So yeah, I just try to keep it as simplified as possible. Yeah. And there's only like, we've got so much to learn and so many hoops to jump through when it comes to running a business that, you know, this is just another thing that people I think often feel completely overwhelmed by. They're like, I have no idea. This seems so hard. Can I just hire somebody to do it? Oh, wait, I can't afford to hire somebody to do it. I just won't do it at all. And it can be one of those really big stumbling blocks. So, you know, it doesn't have to be that hard as long as you know the keys to making it work, which is what we've covered today. Have we missed anything important? Not, not in the, not that I can cover in the context of a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots more to learn, of course, but, uh, but I think we did a really good job in, you know, 60 minutes or an hour, however long we've been chatting. Mm-hmm. I think we really cranked out a lot of information. Everyone's probably feeling very overwhelmed. going to have to listen to it a few times. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I definitely learned some things uh, from you, which has been fantastic. So thank you for that. I'm like, had a few aha moments uh, and I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm no professional when it comes to photos. I've just figured out what works for me and tips for, for other people as well. Um, now, I believe you have a bit of a checklist for people to work through. If they want some reference to go, mm-hmm. okay, you've just thrown all this stuff at me. What was all that again? Uh, where can they find that? Yeah, I have a free, I call it the product photography quality checklist and you can get it at amytakespictures.com slash checklist. Basically it really just breaks down the qualities of a good product photo. A lot of people might look at their photo and think there's something wrong with this, Mm. but I'm not really sure what it is. (laughs) And this will really (laughs) help them identify where you're going wrong because that's the first step in, in fixing it. So then that way you don't, you know, you're not just sitting there puzzled looking at it and trying to figure out where to start. This will give you some direction. Awesome. And one more question that's come to mind, just it's kind of a curiosity thing Ooh. about the the kind of angles and location. So, you know, you, we were talking earlier about um, Amazon photos and eBay photos, and it's always very straight on, like, or straight down onto the product, nice and square. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel in the handmade industry and certainly in my own product photos, I like to try to do things a little differently and like take it from a bit of a shallower angle or a sideways angle, just to kind of add a bit more interest and a bit more, mm-hmm. make the photo a little bit more dynamic. Uh, is Do you recommend that for makers as well? It depends on the product. So mm. we can get away with it in jewelry, but if you have anything that's kind of taller, you know, or, or let's say a mug, let's use mug, for example, mm. the, lines can get distorted so easily when you start trying to go at different angles because with photography, whatever is closest to the camera is going to appear larger than any, than whatever's farther away. So even if it's just a tiny bit and, and it's like the, the top of the mug is just a little bit closer than the bottom of the mug, then you're going to see some lines, like some weird, that, that mug isn't going to appear straight up and down Mm. the way it does in real life. It's going to appear kind of distorted. So it is important to 
try, and I think that's why in product photography it tends to be straight down or straight on. And I typically, those are my generalized recommendations just so that to keep it simple for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but so there's certain products where you definitely can mix it up with the angles. And there's others that I, w- I would just really caution not to do that to make sure that you are keeping the distortion to a minimum or not at all uh, and making your product look as accurate as possible it does in real life. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. very, very good point. Thank you for clarifying yeah. that. There's, and- yeah, and there's a lot of <laughs> other great ways you can add dynamic, uh, you know, an interest to a photo like by mixing, you know, if you're doing style, especially for social media, you can throw in some different textures like a blanket or some plants and, you know, there's lots of fun things you can get into. And that's the difference between a style photo and a product photo, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And style photos can be product photos, but that goes back to what I mentioned when I said one to two props only mm. for your product listing images to keep it simple. You can do, you can have a lot more fun with social media photos. Yeah. And I often say to people, like if you're putting a lot of effort into your social media photos to make those beautiful lifestyle shots or whatever, there's no reason why you can't put that in your product listing as like an additional photo. Like it's Definitely. not your main photo. It's not your main product photo. It's just kind of, a, it gives a bit more life and a bit more mm. like putting it in context for people. Yeah. And I, I like, I really encourage people to use lifestyle photos in their product listings Mm. because people are there ready to buy. So the, the needs to be some photos in there that are going to kind of inform about your product as much as possible, kind of generalist size, get a good look at the close up details, different angles and things like that, backwards, forwards, inside, all of those different things. But they also are going to be considering whether or not it's a fit for them. So if they can see it on a person or in a room, hang it or whatever, like put it in in context so they can start to picture what it would look like in their home or their life or if they were wearing it, then that's kind of a psychological trigger for people to have a connection with something. It's more powerful at developing a connection between your customer and your product that's going to make them more likely to want to buy it. Definitely, because we buy based on our emotional connection to things, generally speaking. Uh, As much as we might convince ourselves logically that, oh, yeah, I really need that necklace, uh, really, (laughs) at the end of the day, it's because it makes us feel a certain way or it's going to make us feel a certain way. Uh, So by tapping into that, it's a really powerful tool, as you said, to uh, convince people to finally click that buy button at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. Amy, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so, so much. Uh, where can Thank people you find you and uh, find out more about you and your course and everything else you teach? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but so my website is amytakespictures.com and my YouTube channel is where I release weekly tips, tricks, advice, and all that good stuff. So that's a, probably the best place. If you're going to do anything, subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash Amy Eaton. And then, you know, I'm on Facebook. I have a free Facebook group for makers um, you can just, if you search my name on Facebook, it'll pop right up and in Instagram, of course, as well, amy.takes.pictures. My name was taken. <laughs> I love that URL though. Amy takes pictures. It's so simple and memorable. Yeah. It's, right. it's, it's a little funny now because now my students are the ones taking the pictures. So I like, feel like I should change it. <laughs> But it's stuck. It's there. It's happening. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you all things product photography today. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Amy. You can, of course, check uh, check out all of her stuff over on her website, amytakespictures.com. Now, if you also want some further learning from me, of course, as I said at the beginning, you can come over and join the Survivor Circle. But there's also another resource you might not be... uh, 
aware of, and it is the Crane Thrive Guide to Product Photography, which I commissioned a few years ago from a professional photographer who did, similar to what Amy does now, works with makers in uh, to help them improve their product photos. So that guide is an ebook. It's available from the Crate and Thrive shop on my website, and you can go download that right now and use that. It's made specifically for beginner to intermediate product photographers. Uh, so if you really want step-by-step you know, guidance on that, how to use your camera properly. Uh, to be fair, it has, was written a few years ago, so some of the smartphone stuff has definitely evolved um, now from then. Uh, but, you know, if you want to learn how to use your DSLR or your smartphone better, then it will help you with that. And it'll, it talks about a whole bunch of other things like how do you you know, photograph shiny stuff. How do you photograph big stuff? There's lots of tips in there for those sorts of things as well. So you can check that out over at createandthrive.com. Just click on the shop link and look for the link to the Create and Thrive Guide to Product Photography. And you can pick that up right now if you would like. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate you being here. I hope you're doing okay out there. Take care of yourselves and each other. And I will be back again next week with another episode of the show. Bye for now.